You're listening to the Kirk and Tillich Herald, a Cune Review recording service podcast, brought to you by our team of volunteers currently recording from their homes across Scotland. Whether you're listening via the BWBF online players, the telephone app, or our brand new Alexa skill, please phone us on 0141 772 3976 to feedback on what you want us to provide and improve upon. Please also join your family and friends in being our audio ambassadors and share our Facebook, Twitter and Instagram all at QNReview. That's at symbol C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. This week's Kirk and Tullock and Bishop Briggs Herald is dated Wednesday, May the 4th, 2022. Youths Under Watch, report by Brian Yule. A councillor wants police to target the Cadder Wharf area following an increase in antisocial behaviour and vandalism. Councillor Carrie Pews, who represents Bishop Briggs North and Campsey, made the call after a recent spate of incidents in the Canal Bank area. In the latest incident, the car of one of the houseboat residents had its windscreen badly damaged and its bodywork dented. Councillor Pugh said, This must have been a terrifying experience for the resident and she was in her houseboat at the time and could hear the commotion outside but was powerless to stop it. When I visited her, the police were there and I know they are doing all they can to identify the culprits. I am also hearing stories of the area being used for quad bike racing, illegal bonfires and youth gathering for late night drinking sessions. The lighter nights tend to see an increase in these sorts of incidents at the Canal Bank, so I hope the police, together with the council's community wardens, will do all they can to give the Canal Bank an extra area extra patrols over the coming weeks. The community policing team in Eastern Bartonshire said that it is continuing to deal with a large number of incidents in relation to use causing annoyance. A spokesperson stated, Please be considerate of your actions and remember it is an offence to consume alcohol in our open spaces. And that report was by Brian Newell. This week in history, May the 3rd, 1968, the first heart transplant in Britain was carried out at the National Heart Hospital, Marleybone. On this day last year, the Queen sent her warmest good wishes to the people of Northern Ireland on the date which many consider to be its centenary. May the 4th, 1974, Amber reached the top of the pop chart with Waterloo the Eurovision Song Contest winner. May 5th, 1941, Emperor Haile Selassie returned to Ethiopia from exile in England after liberation of his country by British forces. On this day last year, scientists revealed they had discovered a simple, efficient way to recreate the early structure of the human embryo from stem cells in the laboratory. May 6th, 1937, the German airship Heidenberg exploded at its moorings in Lancaster, New Jersey, killing 36 of the 97 people on board. On this day last year, alcohol-related deaths had reached their highest level for 20 years, according to the Office for National Statistics, after jumping by a fifth over the previous year. May 7, 2007, the tomb of Herod the Great was discovered by Israeli archaeologists south of Jerusalem, May the 8th, 1970, 
the Beatles' final album, Let It Be, was released. On this day last year, Scotland's Edinburgh Zoo celebrated the arrival of nine Gentoo penguin chicks. Sight was a little oasis, report by Brian Newell. A visual artist admits to feeling a little sadness as a brownfield site is transformed into the new Kirkintilla Community Sports Complex. Tom Wilson is carrying out an art project about nature and post-industrial sites, which began when exploring old mines in his native Ayrshire. Now living in Kirkintilla, he turned his attention to the Southbank Road site and discovered a surprisingly diverse ecosystem of flora and fauna. Tom featured in the Kirkintilla Herald nearly two years ago after coming across a rare hypothesis monotropa plant on the site. He said, Thankfully, when the groundwork first started, I was invited along by the developer site manager, John Ross, and an ecologist to oversee the transplanting of some of these plants into a secure corner where hopefully they will maintain a presence in the area. Work began on the new £5 million facility in February and is due for completion in the autumn. When opened, it will feature a full-size artificial 3G sports pitch with floodlighting, which can divide into three side pitches, complete with stands, a pavilion building and car parking with electric charge points. Tom said, The new sports complex being well underway is welcome news and there will be many people looking forward to its inauguration. Prior to its development, the site was packed with post-industrial debris and tons of domestic and plastic waste. It was a real carbuncle in the community. However, for me, its transition from eyesore to a state-of-the-art sports complex is tinged with a little sadness. The time I studied this site was intensely rewarding and I learned that for all its ugliness, it was a real oasis to a fantastic range of species. I was surprised to find birds like the bullfinch, which is in the amber list for conservation concern, plus reed buntings, woodpeckers, pheasants and many other animals. Never have I been more aware of the nature's tenacity, and while there is no doubt the sports complex is a positive development, we should take time to consider how one small brownfield site was an ideal home for wildlife, now having to look elsewhere. And that report was by Brian Newell. Help Lidl find sites. Lidl GB is looking to open new stores in Springburn and Moody'sburn, and needs the public's help to identify sites. Since the beginning of 2022, the retailer has opened 23 new supermarkets across the UK and is earmarking dozens of potential locations, including 8 in Glasgow and 4 in North Lanarkshire. Lidl is offering a finder's fee to members of the public who successfully identify suitable sites for new stores. The fee is either 1.5% of the total freehold purchase price or 10% off the, f- the first year's rent for leaseholds which would equate to £22,500 for a completed £1.5 million site purchase. The public are encouraged to check Lidl's site requirements and contact the supermarket's property team with further details. For more information, visit www.lidl.co.uk slash about hyphen us slash property. Call to write off school meal debt. West Scotland listed MSP Ross Greer says more than £8,000 of local school dinner debt should be written off. A Freedom of Information request submitted by the Scottish Greens 
has found that children and families owe £8,736.57 to Eastern Bartonshire Council, with the national figure totalling over £1 million. This is despite all primary 1-5 through pupils in Scotland now being entitled to a free school meal. Mr Greer, who is a member of the Parliament's Education Committee, said Children can't get a good education if they're hungry at school. I believe that Eastern Partnership Council rightly ensures every pupil has a meal at lunchtime, even if they don't have the money to cover it. But these figures make it clear that debts are being chased from families who simply can't pay. With the cost of living crisis putting huge pressure on family finances, this is the right time to write off all outstanding school meal debt. Pursuing the debt isn't causing stress and embarrassment for their pupils and their families. But I know that the staff are deeply uncomfortable asking pupils for money they know the family does not have. I'm proud we are rolling out free school meals to all primary school children, as well as taking other measures to help family budgets, such as free bus travel for under-22s. Writing off this debt would be an excellent way to also help families with the financial burdens they face. Voting now open to help your community grow. Report by Brian Newell. Dobby's Garden Centre in Mulgai will support one community project to brighten up their green space through its Helping Your Community Grow initiative. In recent months, community projects were invited to nominate themselves for support and now a shortlist has been selected by the local team members which will now go to a public vote. The winning project will receive advice, products and support from their local Dobby's team. Sustainable products such as peat-free compost and recycled pots will be used wherever possible. The projects on the shortlist are Twicker Primary Parent Council has launched a fundraising drive for the primary's playground, which is currently a concrete jungle space. The Parent Council would like to renovate the space and install planters to to encourage the kids to grow their own and learn sustainable gardening practices. Auchenhowie Sports Hub in Mulgai runs coaching programmes such as tennis, football and hockey for both junior and senior players. The hub is looking to create a wildfire meadow at the entrance of the club to help support the local insect life and biodiversity. The Glasgow Group of the, of the Riding for the Disabled Association in Maryhill Park provides equine therapy to disabled children and adults with the aim to teach new skills and encourage its rider to develop greater independence on horseback. The association is looking to provide scented plants along the sensory trail around the ponds and woodlands, bringing some bright, vibrant blooms into space to the space. Dobie CEO Graham Jenkins said, It's been positive to see so many projects place importance in sustainability and environmentally friendly products. Now the community voting gets underway and we're looking forward to seeing which project receives our support. If one of the local projects receives the most votes across the UK, it will win every it will win the National Helping Your Community Grow title, gaining additional support from Dobies. Voting will remain open until May the 16th. For more information on how to register your vote, visit www.dobies.com slash helping hyphen your hyphen community hyphen grow. And that was a report by Brian Yo. Domestic Abuse Register West Scotland's MSP Pam Gozzle is planning to bring forward her first member's bill 
which should create a register for domestic abusers. It would work similarly to the sex offenders register, with abusers placed in a database that could see that could see police or local authorities act if a potential victim is at risk. This comes as domestic abuse incidents reached their highest level on record, with over 65,000 in 2020-21. Those convicted would be forced to notify the police if they change addresses or have a passport, so they can be closely monitored upon their release from prison. Offenders subject to court orders would also have to complete mandatory rehabilitation to stop further criminal behaviour. It is hoped that the register would give vital information to local authorities and police and prevent further abuse. A public consultation lasting at least 12 weeks will be launched in the coming year where charities and victims will be able to have their say on the details of the bill. Ms Goswell said, For years, domestic abusers have been allowed to roam free in our communities undetected. This register will put an end to that. We will also introduce designated BAME engagement officers to ensure support is accessible for every community in Scotland. I'm keen to hear firsthand from victims and charities to ensure we get this vital legislation right. Domestic abuse is a stain on our society. I hope this bill will ensure that victims, not criminals, are at the heart of our justice system. Tap on, tap off, introduced. First Glasgow has introduced Tap On Tap Off TOTO payment technology on its buses this week. To access TOTO, a passenger uses their contactless card or mobile device at the ticket machine next to the driver. At the end of their journey, they simply tap off on the new card reader device, which had been installed in order for the journey to be accurately recorded. It analyses a customer's travel movements and then calculates the lowest fare for the journey they have made. The transport operator is confident this will make it easier to travel by bus. Duncan Cameron, Managing Director of First Bus Scotland, said, Bringing tap-on, tap-off travel to Glasgow will make the bus easier and more accessible for new users. While some fares have been frozen at 2019 prices, such as family and airport, tickets overall have increased by an average of 6.2%. Need to get involved by local democracy reporter Neil McGrory. A trade union is calling for Scottish Government intervention in an investigation into mismanagement and bullying within Eastern Bartonshire Council's social work services. Unison has written to the Health and Social Care Secretary Hamza Yousaf, claiming the Council and the Local Health and Social Care Partnership have failed to provide meaningful engagement on an internal report regarding issues with the management, culture and bullying. The letter, which was also sent to the Scottish Social Services Council, Chief Executive Lorraine Gray, Edith McIntosh Interim Chief Executive of the Care Inspector and Iona Colvin, the Scottish Government's Chief Social Work Advisor, states, The Council has so far chosen not to publish their full report to staff. There has been no dialogue with Unison, on any actions to take forward the recommendations of their own report, nor any discussion on our response. We therefore lack confidence there is any intent by the Council or Health and Social Care Partnership to take forward their own recommendations, let alone engage with us meaningfully with our concerns. 
Unison Regional Organiser Simon McFarlane added, The Council investigation into serious allegations about social work management was set up in November 2019. From the outset, we asked for an independent element to ensure objectivity and build confidence. The Council repeatedly refused this. Despite this, we engaged with the process and supported members to submit evidence as it was the only route open to them. The final report, published in December 2021, has still not been shared with social work staff. We think this is a major omission. To date, there has been no action plan from the Council or HSCP to take forward their own recommendations, nor a meeting with Unison to discuss our response, and members have no indication when or if their appeals will be heard. We therefore lack confidence that the Council and HSCP intend doing anything, and have therefore written to Hamza Yousaf and the regulators calling on them to act. The Council claims its investigation found no evidence of bullying, and an outcome summary will be published after the election. Chief Executive Jenny Corden said, The Council investigated the initial allegations in relation to social work, which were made through a whistleblower and grievance procedures. The conclusion of the investigation is that there was no evidence of bullying or intimidation in our social work services. Additional work was identified as required in a small number of areas so that effective relationship building and communications are in place to ensure all employees feel supported and valued. It is the Council's intention to publish the outcome summary report after the local government elections. It will be shared with the relevant employees in the first instance and the Council is also finalising the arrangements for the procedures that remain pending following the communication of investigation outcomes to individuals. And that report was by Neil McGrory, Local Democracy Reporter. A packed programme at Free Three Day May Fest. Campsie Festivals Association has organised the return of a free Three Day May Fest later this month. Taking place from May the 13th to the 15th at Milton of Campsie Village Hall, it has been made possible due to financial support from the Scottish Government's Community Remobilisation Fund, the Co op and EDAC. It starts on May the 13th at 10am with a three-mile Campsie countryside walk to the restored railway station at noon for free refreshments thanks to the Fells Coffee House. We're listening to the Campsie Scottish folk players. The art exhibition opens at 5pm on Friday with music provided by Campsie folks to accompany viewing of 60 paintings by talented local artists. Then at 8pm, the Lydia de Rosa singers perform a varied programme of quartet, duo and solo performances. May the 14th will kick off from 10am till 12.30pm with story writing workshops for young and old with author Claire Miller. There is a limit of 10 participants and it is necessary to book by calling 07546 670190. From 2.30pm there's an opportunity for children of all ages up to 18 to perform on stage, introduced by the show organiser Michael Boyle. Short performances by instrumental musicians, singers, dancers etc. are welcomed as individuals or in groups, with certificates awarded. To book a place, call 01360 310 996. 
The day finishes with a performance from Factor 40 at 7.30pm as this seven-piece cover band offers something from everyone from the 60s to contemporary. May the 15th starts with prize-winning artist Mark Mulholland running a creative art workshop for children over 8 from 10.30am to 12.30pm. Using some novel methods with all materials provided, there is the opportunity to create some interesting artwork. Again, numbers are limited to 10, so to book, call 01360 311 944. At 2.15pm, Audrey Gerber's Sounds of Jazz will have a memorial concert for the band leader who died with Covid a year ago. The programme will include his favourite arrangements of Basie and Ellington. The finale at 7pm is a show by Celtic folk group Whistle Binkies. For more information, visit www.campsyfest.org.u Join Al in the saddle. Report by Brian Newell. Former Scotland captain Al Kellett will be swapping his rugby shirt for some lycra as Social Bite launches its Break the Cycle campaign to raise £1 million to fund vital projects to end homelessness. Following a successful first event last year, the 60-mile cycle from Glasgow to Edinburgh will return on September the 4th. This year also sees the introduction of new 20-mile and 3-mile cycle routes to ensure there are opportunities for all ages and abilities to get involved. Al from Bishop Briggs will captain Team Tom Smith, a member of his late Scotland teammate, after the former British and Irish Lions prop passed away from cancer last month. Fans can join Al and Rugby Stars of Yesteryear to set up from Scotsdale Stadium and ride across the city to join an expected 1,000 participants in the Cycling Challenge to Edinburgh. 10% of all fundraising from the team will be donated to a trust that's been set up by the Scottish rugby community in aid of Tom's family. The route will finish at Murrayfield Stadium where fundraisers, along with their friends and families, will enjoy performances from a range of local acts as well as refreshments from some of the country's top food and drink establishments. Al, who is now Managing Director at Glasgow Warriors, said, I'm thrilled that myself and Glasgow Warriors are supporting Social Bite with its Break the Cycle campaign, which does so much to help to support people who need it most. I would encourage rugby fans to join me in sitting off from Scotland Stadium all the way to Murrayfield, and I'm really looking forward to raising as much money as possible for the cause, as well as supporting the creation of a trust for Tom Smith's family after his tragic passing. Alternatively, participants can sign up to Team Hoy and set off in the 60-mile cycle with Sir Chris Hoy from the Velodrome, where participants will be warmed up by, the legendary, by a legendary fitness guru. Sir Chris said, The work Social Bite do is inspiring and has such a positive impact on so many people's lives, so it's always great to help out when it whatever way I can. To find out more, sign up or donate, visit www.breakthecycle.co.uk And that report was by Brian Newell. Fascinating new book, Stations Firmly on Ian's Radar, report by Julie Curry. A new book tells the fascinating history of Scotland's wartime radar stations and the vital role they played in the Second World War. Written by Ian Brown, National Museum Scotland Aviation Curator, 
It has recently been published by the Society of Antiquaries of Scotland. Featuring a unique blend of technical and social history, Radar in Scotland, 1938-1946, described how Scotland's radar chain operated, how radar information was processed and used for the country's air defence, and what life was like for those who lived and worked in these mostly remote sites. The history of each of Scotland's 93 sites, from Drone Hill to the Borders Court Law in Aberdeenshire, is explained and accompanied by a series of first-hand accounts from servicemen and women who were stationed there. Photographs of many of these secret sites are featured, including a number of previously unpublished. Radar was relatively new technology at the start of the war, but it evolved rapidly and soon came to play a central role in the conflict. Ian said, We owe an enormous debt of gratitude to the servicemen and women and scientists who developed and operated Britain's radar-based warning and control systems. They were able to identify the potential of the technology and to apply it in a way that created a complete air defence system, the first to be used in wartime operations. Scotland played a vital part in this, but until now, there hasn't been any accurate account of the country's significant contribution. I've long been fascinated by the technical and social aspects of Scotland's ground radar network, and hope that this book will help to explain the important role that the station and the people who worked on them played in the outcome of the war. Radar's connections with Scotland go back to the origins of the technology, when Scott James Clark Maxwell calculated the theoretical existence of radio waves in 1864. It was another Scot, Robert Wilson Watt, who in the early 1930s suggested that radar could be used for detection and who worked hard to endorse it as a sound programme for Britain's air defence. The Scottish ground radar stations, featured in Ian's new book, comprise a number of different types of signal installations which are used to detect hostile aircraft, shipping or surface U-boats attempting to enter British waters. Some of the sites were equipped with searchlights to direct lost aircraft to the nearest suitable airfield. The book also features the G-System, the first radio navigational aids to enable accurate aircraft navigation over enemy territory. This used the same equipment as the ground radar stations and its grounded component was manned by personnel who had previously served on radar sites. Scotland's radar stations were part of a broader UK-wide home chain of coastal early warning systems and were manned by RAF numbers 70, 71 and 72, signals wings, a mix of surface personnel and civilian scientists. Information gathered at radar stations was reported to a filter room where it was used to estimate a true picture of aircraft movements. This true picture was then passed on to the operations rooms at Flight Command Headquarters, where decisions were made on how to deal with the attack. Radar in Scotland, 1938-46 officers, offers an insight into the realities of life for the servicemen and women on Scotland's radar stations. A series of fascinating accounts illustrate the skill and resourcefulness required in setting up and operating the equipment, and also describe living arrangements and the impact of local weather conditions. At the Sango station in the Highlands, Eric Britton described how, in winter, the winds were so strong that a rope was stretched from the house to the station so that we could hang on and not be blown away when the guests were at their worst. In 1941, 
he reported that the snow was so bad that Lancaster bombers had to drop their food supplies by parachute. At Scott Radar Station in Shetland, Bill Baddock noted that the, the Nissan huts on the domestic campsites were anchored with cables over the top to secure them when gales reached 100 to 120 miles per hour. Al Tunis was posted to North Cairns Station in Dumfries and Galloway, where he served with an inspiring young comedian, aircraftman Anthony Tony Hancock, who later became a household name. The two men organised a variety show in the Airman's Recreation Hall, where Tunis described how a slight, stooped young man with sad eyes stepped onto the stage and assumed the identity and manner of a born comedian. Radar in Scotland, 1938-46, also illustrates the important role played by service women in the operation of the radar and filter rooms. Based at the National Museum of Flight at East Fortune, Ian has spent 35 years researching official records and first-hand accounts to write the book. It is available at Waterstones or via the Society's online shop, priced £30. And that report was by Julie Curry. Foster Care. Little Moments to Change Lives. Report by Brian Newell. Eastern Bartonshire Council is relaunching its Little Moments to Change Lives campaign to urge potential foster carers to get in touch. The relaunch, time to coincide with Foster Care Fortnight 2022, is to ensure that children and young people continue to be supported in their community when their birth families are unable to look after them. Eastern Partnership has a network of dedicated carers, but several long-term carers are retiring and new carers are desperately needed. The campaign, which includes posters across the council's fleet vehicles and social media, reminds, reminds potential carers that this is a little family moments that can mean so much to children who have experienced instability. Amanda, 20, is one of the young people in Eastern Bartonshire whose lives have been turned around through fostering. She has been in foster care since she was 16, along with her own son James, who was only months old at the time. Amanda had previously been in kinship care, where a family member provides care when parents are unable to, but the family relationship had deteriorated and Amanda was living in a friend's bedroom. The day she nervously walked up the driveway of the home of foster carers Maureen and Bill, cradling her baby son and accompanied by a social worker, was the start of a new beginning for her. Amanda said, I do sometimes think about how different things could have been had they not come here. There was a mother and baby unit which I might have been an option, but I wouldn't have had the support I had from Maureen and Bill. I would not have been able to do half of what I have done without them. For children and young people who come into care, everyday family moments are cherished and, over time, create that stability and helps them flourish. Amanda added, Not long after I arrived, Maureen gave me a hug before I left for school and I was like, What are you doing? What is this for? That was the first time I had actually had a hug on the way to school. I knew very quickly it was going to be a good place for us. It's not just Maureen and Bill either. It's our whole family. I've not just gained foster parents, I've gained a whole foster family. Having a loving, supportive home has given Amanda the confidence to look after her own son, James, who is now five years old, as well as pass her exams, gain vocational qualifications and secure a job in her chosen field. Maureen and Bill have been fostering for 13 years and Amanda is the third young person they have fostered. 
most children who are in need of fostering are individuals or siblings. To have a mother and daughter requiring foster care was unusual, but given their experience, the couple were a good fit, and Amanda flourished under their care. Maureen said, Amanda has overcome so many challenges, she came to us with just this clothes on her back. She was failing everything at school, and we got her tutors. We had all of these challenges that you have with your own children, but we didn't give up. She now has a job and has also passed her driving test. She got all that through sheer hard work and determination. I'm so proud of her. Now she's just our daughter. Maureen urged others who are interested to find out more. She said, Anyone who wants to foster, don't be afraid to fight for the kid that is in your care because nobody else has. These kids are depending on us for their future. They need to be that per- person. Caroline Sinclair, Chief Social Work Officer at Eastern Berkshire Health and Social Care Partnership, said, We have an amazing network of dedicated foster carers, but several have recently retired, and we need to recruit more to ensure that children and young people in this area have a safe and secure environment and can maintain important family, school and social relationships. Foster care transforms lives. I see this every day. Children and young people flourishing in our care and achieving all areas of achieving in all areas of their lives. I also take real satisfaction and pride that foster carers experience from helping these youngsters reach their full potential. For Amanda, fostering has been life changing, but every year there is an ongoing demand for safe and secure placements for children and young people. Children and young people need foster care when they're not able to remain at home with their birth families. Fostering includes providing care in emergencies for a few weeks or months until children can return to their families or for longer periods of time including permanent care. Foster carers come from all kinds of backgrounds and experiences, single, living with a partner, in a same-sex relationship or married. Carers receive regular support from a supervising social worker and, and be involved in training and support groups. Foster carers receiving a fee and allowance when caring for children. To find out more, call the fostering team on 0141 777 3003 email fostering at uk or visit uk. Note, the names in this article have been changed and that report was by Brian Newell. Death of ex-Rab Former Rob Roy player Kenny Knox died on Saturday at the age of 82 following a battle with cancer. Born and raised in Kirkintilloch, Kenny worked as an electrical draftman at MNC Switchgear, as well as enjoying a productive career at Adamsley Park in the 1950s and 60s. During the trophy-laden spell for the club, the highlight was lifting the Scottish Junior Cup in 1961 after beating Renfrew in a replay. He moved on to play for Clyde and Hibernian before signing for the Highland Park in Johannesburg in 1967. Kenny sought out the remainder of his life in Swaziland, working in marketing before founding his own business as a financial consultant. He leaves three children, Candice, David and Ross. His eldest son Lloyd sadly died in 2002. Independent cats are looking for new homes, 
Report by Brian Yule. A trio of independent cats are looking for new homes with owners who understand that sometimes feelings just want a bit of peace and quiet. Cats Protection's Glasgow Adoption Centre is appealing for experienced cat owners for Alex and Sandy, brothers who have unfortunately found themselves in care for a second time. Still not even two years old, the person who took them on as kittens felt duty-bound to give them up for adoption following the threats to their safety in the local neighbourhood. While they have a strong bond with each other, Alex and Sandy are not so bothered about human attention, but do love playing with all sorts of different toys. Glasgow Adoption Centre Senior Cat Care Assistant Lindsay Anderson said, These are a lovely pair of brothers. They are looking for a quiet, adult-only home with an experienced cat owner who understands that they may just live in the home but not want too much attention. They need direct access outside by way of a cat flap as they like to be able to come and go as they please. We would also consider a farm or stables type home with a secure outbuilding for them to start off in, but we would like them to have the option of going into the main house, should they wish, as this is what they have had in the past. Pretty Kitty is a black and white moggy who has been looking for a new home since January. The two-year-old ended up living in a home with a dog, which stressed her out and led to unpredictable behaviour. She was also kept as an indoor cat, but it is thought that she had so much energy she would be able to explore the great outdoors. Lindsay said, Pretty Kitty is an independent girl who enjoys attention on her terms. She loves getting a head rub and she loves playing, especially with a fishing rod toy. Her previous owner said she enjoys being groomed and will occasionally sit on her lap. We are looking for a quiet, adult-only home for her, with an experienced owner who can read her body language and know how to give her space when she wants it. All the cats that leave the care of cats' potential are neutered, vaccinated and fully up to date with flea and worming treatments. For more information, visit www.cats.org.uk slash Glasgow AC or call 0141-779-3341 And that was a report by Brian Yule. From this week's Kirk and Tullock Herald, dated Wednesday the 4th of May 2022, Let's Talk. The letters page for the Kirk and Tullock Herald. Please send your letters via email to kirkyherald at jnscotland.co.uk That's k-i-r-k-y-h-e-r-a-l-d at sign j-n-s-c-o-t-l-a-n-d Covid app upgrade torpedoed expensive cruise trip Sir, below is an open letter to Deputy First Minister and Cabinet Secretary for Covid Recovery, John Swinney. When we first tried to obtain paper copies of our Covid-19 status by phone earlier this year, we seemed to be caught in a loop. We then visited the NHS Scotland COVID-19 website where we were asked for a username and password, neither of which we knew. The username was sent to us, but when we asked for a new password, we were refused as we were apparently not on record. We assumed that as we had held this information electronically, we were fine. We had booked a cruise leaving from Southampton on Monday, April the 18th, Easter Monday. On Saturday, 
April the 16th, before leaving home, we checked all the required information, including our COVID-19 status, on the NHS Scotland app. We checked once more on Sunday. Again, all was fine. However, when we arrived at Southampton docks on Easter Monday, preparing to board the ship, we were astounded to find that we could not access our COVID-19 status on the app. We found Wi-Fi in a pub, but again, no success. We phoned NHS Scotland's COVID line several times where we were assured they had held our records, but were unable to send us copies. Unable to show the info, we were denied access to the cruise. We later contacted NHS Scotland's COVID-19 department and on Monday, April 25th, and, after much discussion, were informed that on Easter Monday their computer operators had been, had been working on updating their system and changed the verification level to a minimum of 13.1. Our phones were 11.4, since updated to 12.1. Obviously, we are very disappointed with the situation. We've been in touch with our insurance company for a claim form, but we both feel that it's unfair for them to recompense us when the fault lies patently with the Scotland's NHS Department and Government. It is surely blind arrogance, if not incompetence, to upgrade software to a different level when many of us, particularly the elderly, use older versions of phones. Not only has this government and its departments failed to think through the consequences of their decisions, they have failed to keep people fully informed of what is to happen, leaving them in ignorance. The first we heard of all this was on Wednesday, April the 20th, when a government spokesman announced alterations to the app, as Scotland no longer needed COVID passports for, for events in Scotland. This fall affair has cost us a lot of money, in the region of £3,800, which includes insurance, travel to and from Southampton, hotels and long-stay car parking, use etc., Malcolm Walker, address supplied. Democracy should be at speech core. Sir, on May the 10th, the Queen will be in Parliament delivering this year's Queen's speech, announcing the government's priorities. Plans to improve our democracy should be at the heart of it. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has highlighted the vulnerability of democracy around the world. In response to this, the government should take steps to strengthen and modernise our democracy at home. Measures that would help include a fair voting system that ensures no party can achieve absolute power on the basis of a minority of votes. We also need to change the to ensure more transparency and accountability over elected representatives. With trust in politicians at an all-time low, this Queen's speech needs to be concrete, needs concrete action to bring the process of restoring trust. I hope our local MP will support the calls for change made by Unlock Democracy and other campaign groups. Yours, etc. Sam Greikuk, via email. Ban these e-scooters. Sir, the Transport Minister Grant Schnapps intends to make e-scooters legal. Obviously, he did not consult the public or road safety groups. Many towns and cities in England stopped e-scooter trials after numerous injuries and complaints. 
Ambulance call-outs in England since January 2020 exceed 840 e-scooter incidents. There have been 11 deaths and many injuries. The London Fire Brigade has already attended 98 lithium battery fires on e-scooters and e-bikes. The e-scooter brigade thinks pavements and shopping malls are for their exclusive use. The Scottish Government should ban these machines from Scottish roads and pavements. Now that would show independence. Yours, etc. Clark Cross, address supplied. And that was this week's letters page from the Kirkintill Herald. Royal Patron of Eric Liddell's Centenary. Report by Julie Curry. HRH The Princess Royal has agreed to become patron for the Eric Liddell 2024 Centenary Initiative. The project will mark the centenary of the Scottish Sportsman's gold medal win in the 1924 Paris Olympics. His story was told in the award-winning film Chariots of Fire. His religious beliefs meant he would not race on a Sunday, thus missing out on the 100 yards event he was expected to win. Instead, Eric competed in the 222-yard sprint where he gained a bronze medal and then completed an epic, world record-breaking run in the 440 yards where he won the Olympic gold medal. The Eric Liddell 2024 Centenary Initiative has been instigated by John McMillan, CEO of the Edinburgh-based charity which carries Eric's name, to plan and implement a number of high-profile events to mark the centenary. Her, Hi- Her Royal Highness, the Princess Royal, has agreed to become the patron and will head up an impressive group of people from around the world of business, education, government, sport and other disciplines who have come together to plan the events for 2024, while also working towards safeguarding A. Liddell's legacy. John McMillan, CEO of the Eric Liddell community, said, I am absolutely delighted to announce the Princess Royal has agreed to be a patron of the initiative. I was honoured to have the privilege recently of meeting the Princess Royal and showing her around the community and some of the services we provide. It is great to know that she supports our 2024 plans and that she will be involved. We are in close touch with his three daughters in Canada and his niece Sue in Edinburgh, who is a patron. Our international ties with organisations all over the world that celebrate Eric's life and legacy, have grown, and so the idea came to mark the centenary of his legendary win in 1924 at the Paris Olympics in 2024. We will announce more details as they become available. Eric was also capped for Scottish rugby seven times and inducted into their Hall of Fame in January this year. He died of a brain tumour at age 43 while interned in a Japanese camp during World War II. And that report was by Julie Curry. Import decision is utter madness. NFU Scotland has described plans by the UK government to postpone animal and plant health checks on goods coming into the UK from the EU until the end of 2023 as utter madness. Those exporting goods from the UK to the EU have faced costly and time-consuming checks on goods since the end of Brexit transition in January 2021. The UK government has now postponed introducing, similar, postponed introducing similar checks on goods entering the UK from the EU for a fourth time, handing a competitive advantage to other food producing nations that will now stretch to over three years. For Scotland's beleaguered pig sector, 
The lack of checks at the border in EU pork imports not only gives a competitive advantage, but presents an unacceptable risk to health and welfare, with a highly contagious African swine fever present in parts of mainland Europe, a disease with the potential to wipe out the Scottish pig herd. President Martin Kennedy said, The prolonged failure of the UK government to place UK food exporters on an even keel with those exporting goods to the UK from Europe shows an astonishing level of incompetence. They are now proposing to kick the can down the road for a further 18 months to introduce a digital solution that hasn't even been created. The UK government is making it easy for imports to the UK, while the Scottish food exporters continue to face extensive paperwork and long queues to get their goods into the EU. It is utter madness. We are working with hands tied behind our backs while our government makes it easier for our competitors. Short extension for completing census Households across Scotland are being offered a short extension until the end of May to complete their census return, National Records of Scotland, NRS, has confirmed. By allowing allowing outstanding online and paper returns to be submitted over a further four weeks, NRS is ensuring that everyone across the country has the opportunity to complete their return and help to shape the important services in their community. Around 68,000 households have begun their census returns online but have not yet completed and a similar number of requested paper forms have yet to be returned. Every household is legally required to complete their set returns and people living in Scotland are reminded that failing to do so could result in a prosecution and a fine of up to £1,000. Paul Lowe, National Record of Scotland's Chief, Chief Executive, said, With the May the first deadline approaching, we are continuing to receive a high volume of census returns, both online and in paper, and each day our contact centre is continuing to support many householders keen to submit their returns. We want to maximise this ongoing enthusiasm and support from across the nation to complete the census and so have put in place a short extension to to ensure everyone's return counts. Support to complete your census is now available on our website census.gov.scot or via our free helpline 0800-030-8308 That's 0800-030-8308 Paper forms are also still available on request for those who need them. The census asks a range of questions including the types of accommodation people stay in, relationships, age, sex, health and employment. Create pit stops for pollinators. Report by Julie Curry. Butterfly Conservation has joined forces with TV gardener Alan Titchmarsh to encourage people in Scotland to create pit stops for pollinators this spring. The campaign has been launched to help wildlife that is in crisis. 76% of butterflies in the UK have declined since 1976. Pit stops help insects get from one area of habitat to the next and they come in all sizes, which means everyone can get involved, no matter how large or small the space they have available. Even a small plant pot pot on a doorstep or balcony could help provide butterflies and moths with an important food plant or nectar. Whether you live in a town or village, everyone can contribute to support our vital pollinating insects and have butterflies and moss in your garden day and night. Alan, who is the Vice President of Wildlife Charity Butterfly Conservation, said, By providing a pit stop for pollinators, 
you'll be doing your bit for the insects that allow us to survive. Without them, we are gone. Plants aren't pollinated and crops don't grow. We need them to look, to look after the planet for them. A really good pit stop will have open flowers, which are needed for adult butterflies and moths to feed on, and also some plants which can butterflies and moths can lay their eggs and for caterpillars to feed on. Th- something as simple as a bunch of nettles in a sunny corner is one good way to provide this. Sarah Hancocks, marketing projects manager of Vivera, official partner of the campaign, said, Back gardens can provide essential pit stops. Whatever space you have, make it inviting to your wildlife, whilst enjoying doing your bit to help nature thrive on your doorstep. We've developed a range of new wildlife borders designed to help you give a corner of your green space back to wildlife, and even have one specifically for butterflies. It includes an array of butterfly-friendly plants, including black-eyed Susan, lavender headcoat, white coneflower, garden catmint, verbena bonariensis, and white dwarf budelia. For Alan's top tips on creating a pit stop, download the free guides at www.butterflyconservation.org. That was a report by Julie Curry. Spring into action for plant and share. <clears throat> Community groups across the nation are getting together for the Soil Association's Plant and Share Month. From now until May the 20th, people are being encouraged to sow, grow and share seeds, seedlings and plants as part of the National Lottery funded Food for Life get-togethers. Anyone can take part. It is completely free to register and there are free resources, toolkits and session plans at www.ffl.gettogethers.org Not only can it bring communities together, it can help local biodiversity too. Ruth Galpine from the Soil Association said, Plant and Share Month is a celebration of biodiversity and of the huge diversity of communities that we have in the UK. We see the incredible work people are already doing all over the country. Now we have created this month to support people to celebrate spring together whilst doing their bit for local biodiversity. District News U3A If you are retired or semi-retired and would like to meet people of a similar age for a variety of fun and interesting activities, listen on. The U3A is a nationwide organisation made up of independent local groups run on a voluntary basis by, by their members. It is all about learning for pleasure and for fun. Everyone is encouraged to participate and get involved. Interest groups Like all other U3A, we draw upon the enthusiasm, knowledge, experience and skills of our own members to organise and provide a wide range of interest groups and activities. Our interest groups are set up and run by the members themselves. We have 50 different groups, which include photography, science, languages, dining and social events, walking, art and many more. Have a look at our webpage for full information www.u3asites.org.uk slash BAM slash home That's www.u3asites.org.uk slash B-A-M slash H-O-M-E 
Membership. Membership of our U3A is open to people from Bears Den, Mulgai and the surrounding area. There is no age limit, but activities are aimed at retired or semi-retired people who wish to share in educational, recreational, creative activities and companionship. You can come along in two monthly meetings or attend an interest group meeting before deciding whether you wish to join the U3A. You're not obliged to join on your first visit. Monthly meetings. All are welcome to attend the monthly meetings. We have an interesting talk each month by a visiting speaker, as well as news of events and interest groups. We have an inquiry desk at the meeting, where you can speak to one of our committee members if you have any queries or would like to find out more about our U3A. Young Writers The prestigious Young Walter Scott Prize, a UK-wide historical writing prize for 11 to 19-year-olds, now in its eighth year, has opened for entries for its 2022 award. The prize challenges young people to write a piece of short fiction stories set in a time before they were born. Entries are judged in two age groups, 11 to 15 years and 16 to 19 years, and the prize welcomes any form of fiction from poetry to poetry, drama to fictional letters or reportage. The winners will receive a £500 travel grant and tickets to the Borders Book Festival in Melrose in June 2023, where they will be presented with their prizes. All winning and highly commended writers will see their work published in the special Young Walter Scott Prize Anthology. Closing date, October 31st. For full details, see www.ywsp.co.uk Housing Priority A new survey carried out for Shelter Scotland has shown that housing is among the top priorities for people in Scotland. The survey, conducted by YouGov, asked respondents to state which issues were most important to their local area. Nearly a quarter, 23%, of respondents listed housing as among their top three priorities, with only the economy and health ranking higher. The same survey also found that 42% of adults in Scotland think their local council should be doing more to tackle homelessness. An overwhelming 80% of people said they believed everyone should have the right to a permanent home. Director of Shelter Scotland, Alison Watson, said, it's no surprise that the economy and housing are among the top three priority for people in Scotland. With a crushing cost of housing crisis, combining with an already severe housing emergency, the situation for many communities is dire. Westminster Voice Make Your Vote Count on May the 5th by a- Amy Callaghan, MP What has the council ever done for us? collected bins and fixed potholes. But apart from collect bins and fixed potholes, what has the council ever done for us? Provided nurseries, staffed our schools, and care for the elderly and vulnerable? Well, yes, but apart from the nurseries and built affordable homes, tackled antisocial behaviour, supported local businesses, set policies to improve air quality, and provided us with access to green spaces, even as your MP, I can say there is no level of government that has more direct impact on your daily lives. 
The reality is, councillors are the politicians making the decisions which impact your everyday living. When it comes to providing a safe sanctuary for refugees, it is the willingness of the council that will, or will not, make that a reality. Of course, I play my role in holding the failing UK government to account in this too. When the National Care Service is created, it is our councils that will play a key role in incorporating current social care services. When the Scottish Government announced new provisions for child victims and witnesses, it is councils working in concert with Police Scotland that deliver on this policy. Think of a national policy that does not directly involve local councils. Even the climate emergency, clearly a global problem, is best approached at a local level. Take the district heating network in neighbouring Western Dumbartonshire, a local project that has a meaningful impact on energy demands. The people elected to represent us as Eastern Dumbartonshire Council will have the power to affect almost every aspect of our lives over the next five years. When the Scottish Government made funding available to support older and disabled residents, fit in the fire alarms, Eastern Dumbartonshire Council is one of the only local authorities who chose not to apply. That was the dereliction of duty, and the people of Eastern Barnshire suffered as a result. There was a recent vote on libraries, with the SNP group bringing forward a motion to protect our long-term future and viability of these vital local services. Lib Dem, Tory and even Labour councillors all voted against this motion. Do we want more of the same? And that was today's District News. Planning Notices Eastern Bartonshire Council Public Notices The Eastern Bartonshire Council Woodhill Road, Bishop Briggs Temporary Closure Order 2022 On the 3rd of May 2022 the Eastern Bartonshire Council made the above named order under section 14 brackets 1 of the Road Traffic Regulation Act 1984 as amended which makes it unlawful for any person to drive or cause or permit to be driven any motor vehicle with the exception of emergency service vehicles, vehicles engaged in the works, and those vehicles requiring access to properties adjacent to the closed section of road, when it is safe and practical to do so. On Woodhill Road, Bishop Riggs, between its junctions with Wester Clendens Road and St Cyrus Road, by reason of works being executed on or near this road. This order will operate from 6am on Monday the 16th of May until 6pm on Sunday the 29th of May 2022. Alternative route. Alternative routes for vehicles are by way of Woodhill Road, the B812 Auchinairn Road, Colston Road, the A803 Kirkintilloch Road, South Cross Hill Road, Wester Clinton's Road, the Wester Lumlock Road, and these routes will be signposted. Internal division routes will also be signposted. SGD, Karen Donnell, Chief Solicitor and Monitoring Officer, Legal Services, Eastern Bartshire Council Headquarters, 12 Strathkelvin Place, Kirkintilloch, G66, 1TJ. Massive Week in Rab's Diary. An article written by Ralph Mellon. 
Battle-weary Kirkintilloch Rob Roy face potentially the biggest week of the season in their quest to stay in the West of Scotland Football League Premier Division. With four matches still to play, the Rabs are almost safe, but not quite, as they bid to scramble clear of the bunch of seven destined for the drop. They helped their cause on Saturday by coming back from a 2-0 down against relegated Blantyre Victoria to win 3-2, having lost 2-0 to Ben Burb in midweek. On Wednesday, they face title hopefuls Auchin Lek Talbot, who recently edged them out of the Scottish Junior Cup at the semi-final stage. Rab's boss, Stuart Maxwell, said his side would love three points from that one but a draw would still suit them reasonably well if they can't beat the East Ayrshire side. However, a massive game will follow this Saturday at Rutherglen Glencairn, one place below them in 13th. Quote, That's the biggest game of the week, and for us because they are level on points with us, and we have played two games less while we are ahead of them on goal difference said Maxwell. If we could go down there and win, it would probably be very difficult for them to catch us as they'd only have one game left. They will need to win it by a few goals to sort us and they will understand it's a cup final for them as much as we think it's a cup final for us. Maxwell said he'd be missing six or seven players for tonight's game and while it's not quite do or die for the Rabs yet, it is important they keep up with their hosts. Quote, A draw would not be a disaster for us, he admitted, but Auchinleck are chasing the title and have no room for error. They need to win. Hopefully we can frustrate them the longer the game goes on, but we must stay in the game. It's a cauldron down there, and with a ferocious home support, you don't get a lot of decisions, so we need to stay in the game. And if we get an opportunity, be clinical at the top end of the pitch. Maxwell praised his players for a second half against Blantyre packed with great individual performances, after they were hit twice on the counter-attack on trial 2-0. A shape change helped jolt them into life and get level before half-time, and then they dominated the game, he said, with goals from Ben Daly, Dean Cairns and in between an unbelievable 20-yard volley by Robert Young. Glen's Seal Title Triumph Kilmarnock 3, Alan Glen's 38 Alan Glen's wrap-up the West Division League Division 1 rugby title in style on Saturday. Arvin's midweek decision to withdraw from the league saw the Bishopriggs club move to the top of the table with a nine-point lead and they made sure of the silverware with a convincing win down at Bell's Land in front of a sizeable travelling support. A bad-tempered game, Glens were shown three yellow cards and at one point in the first half had two men in the sin bin at the same time. In very slippery conditions, saw them clinch promotion to National 3 next season, along with Royal High and Orkney. 
Kilmarnock opened the scoring with a penalty by Craig McWhorter after only five minutes, but that was it as far as the home team troubling the scoreboard was concerned. Glens immediately replied with a charge from 20 metres out by Levy Ekavati to put the first points on the board for the visitors. Scott Thompson converted. Ten minutes later, wing David Lowe finished off a great handling move by the visiting backs to touch down on the wing. On form, Thompson again converted. Ekavati again showed his pace by completing another try created by the Glens backs, making the halftime score 3-19 to to Glens. On the restart, Kilmarnock staged an attack after attack on the Glens line. It was only Stuart defending that kept them out. The tide turned again, and through a straightforward backs move, Ekavati completed his hat-trick. Through excellent support play, Duncan McKinstry then scored from short range to add another score for the visitors, with Thompson again buying the extra points. A few minutes from time with Glenn's pressing, Jack Mooney sprinted over out on the wing for a try which Thompson converted, against the odds to give a convincing shine to the scoreboard. Undefeated Glens will now look to make it 18 wins from 18 fixtures in their final league game. That is due to take place against Cambus Lang at the Bear Yards on Saturday, May 14th. Tigers have the edge in Derby Thriller. An article by Brian Copland. Tigers scraped the narrowest of speedway victories against Edinburgh on Sunday despite a dominant performance from visiting number one Sam Masters. The Australian raced to a flawless 18-point maximum for the Monarchs, but it was not enough to ensure victory for his side, and they lost 46-44. It was a much closer affair than Friday's tie at Armadale, which the Tigers won by 12 points. Boss Cammy Brown had predicted a close result, so the small margin on Sunday's victory did not surprise him. Quote, It was excellent what I thought would happen. It was a combination of Edinburgh not being able to ride as badly as they did on Friday, and I knew we probably wouldn't hit those heady heights again. Edinburgh rode very well, with total respect for them and an excellent performance. We had a few guys struggling. Brock Nicholl didn't have a great night, and Ulrich Ulstregard had horrendous bike problems. In some ways it feels like a loss, because we let a 12-point lead slip to 2, but there's a 3.1. Before Sunday's showdown, which followed a convincing Tigers win over their capital rivals, Brown had warned, quote, We have no doubts on Sunday we have to be professionals when Edinburgh come to Ashfield. Any fans that think we're going to rock up and turn them over easily can think again. Afterwards, he added, We've beaten Edinburgh home and away. It's seven-point weekend, so that's perfect for us, and we showed we have a good 1-7 again when we really need it. The win keeps Glasgow second in the SGB Championship on 13 points, three behind Leicester, with three meetings in hand. Next up is the visit this Friday from Plymouth, but the Tigers will be without Benjamin Basso and Tom Bennon, who have another meeting overseas. 
Brown added, we've got to cement this weekend's result with a win against Plymouth. We have some guests in mind and hopefully, with another home win, it can push us right to the top of the table. Last Friday, Brown beamed, quote, that's why I do the job, end quote, after the Tigers win. Rosvale Ladies in Playoff A local ladies football team has the chance of promotion glory this weekend after their first season on the circuit. Rosvale women from Bishop Briggs have reached the SWF Championship Playoff Final, in which they will face East Fife. Both teams are runners-up in their respective championship, North and South Leagues, and will battle it out for the third spot in the SWPL 2 for season 2022-2023. The match takes place at the Indrodrill Stadium, home of Alwa Athletic, this Sunday, May 8th, kicking off at 2pm. Vale have won praise for getting so far in their maiden campaign, with the club tweeting, quote, an outstanding achievement for the club's first ever women's season. Well done to all players and staff. We are so proud of you. Peter's Hill manager moves on after promotion. Peter's Hill boss Martin Lachlan has quit after guiding the club to the West of Scotland Football League Conference C title and promotion to the Premier Division. The departure for the former Rossville boss and his backroom team was announced in a club tweet feed post saying, quote, After the tremendous season at Peters Hill, working with an unbelievable group of players, the management team of Martin Lachlan, Carlo Garassoli, Paul Roberts, Alan Hamilton and Peter Keegan have made the decision to move on. It has been a very successful season winning the championship in some style and putting the club back in the top flight, where they belong. It's been a great journey and the buzz is back with the fans in Springburn. Unfortunately, we feel we can't take the club any further and have made the difficult decision to move on and look for a new challenge. Elsewhere, relegated Rossville has promised, quote, some huge announcements due in the coming days slash weeks, end quote, in preparation for next season. The Bishop Briggs side concluded their Premier League term with a well-deserved 3-2 win over Bonnyton Thistle. Goals from Jordan Logan and Dylan Young put Vale 2-0 up by half-time, while a 28th-minute counter by Del McNabb made sure of victory on either side of two penalty goals for Bonnyton. In Conference B, Ashfield lost 1-0 at Thornywood United in their final game of the campaign. On the amateur scene, Bishop Briggs side West Park United clinched the Hills Solicitors Championship by beating Tower Hearts 4-1. Thank you for listening to this week's Kirk and Tilk Herald podcast. Brought to you by Kuhn Review, print speaking to the blind. If you've any feedback, you're welcome to call us on 0141 772-3976 If you enjoyed this recording feel free to subscribe to our channel 